0: everyone. Welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. This is Monica Michelle with Explicitly Sick. I am really hoping you're going to enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, I do want to just put out some trigger warnings. We do discuss eating disorders, self-harm, suicidal thoughts. This is mostly an interview about anorexia. Um, We touch on some very, well, touchy subjects. Um, If you go to our show notes, I have All of the different places you can call or text to get help that I can find. If you have some other ones that you think are better than what I found, please go ahead and put a comment at the bottom and I will add those to our show notes. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy. We do also discuss some really cool things like robotics, um, the perfectionism as safety. We get into a whole bunch and we're going to hopefully have Amy back um, next month to discuss some other things about disability. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this with friends, family, and your online community. How are you? I am really excited to talk to you. I just read through your, um, what you had written about your thesis. Oh, okay. <laughs> on robotics, and I, um, I'm kind of nerding out right now, so I'll try to <laughs> stay on topic. But I was curious if the robotics is on topic.
1: It is a disability studies book.
0: It's a project in that. Okay. Because we were gonna focus on eating disorders, if I remember correctly, for anorexia. Yeah, but if
1: you want to bring in the robot, then I'm always happy to talk about robots. So
0: <laughs> you're, you're killing me. I ran a whole separate podcast um for history for kids, and I'm doing an entire year on oh, the history yeah. of robots. So I was like <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> So I, I was like, Hmm, I wonder. Um but I was kind of curious if um, the robots also links in with anorexia and a societal sort of idea of what the body type should be.
1: It does in a really abstract way. Um, I link my, my love of robots to my um, like history of eating disorders in the sense that I'm obsessed with automation. Okay. Um, and like, how do you, you know, get a body to a point where it doesn't have any bodily needs And one of the, one of my issues with anorexia, right, is also, like, one of the reasons I had it for so long is I was obsessed with controlling my body, Mm -hmm. so I didn't have to, like, rely on anyone. I wanted, like, ultimate um, independence, ultimate independence, ultimate autonomy. Um, So, like, coming to terms with that is also me, like, theorizing robots as these messy interdependent things that are more like humans
0: you're like hitting me with so much right now. Like because I always thought it was about perfectionism and like, then there's also this idea of that automation of like, I had always wanted to have the body type all my friends had of like the ruler, because then you didn't even have to worry about like what clothes would fit, what clothes would look, um, inviting, I guess is the word in quotations. But like, it just took out all those question marks. If the body didn't start going through all the, the curves and outwards, Right? No, it's and so it's neat.
1: funny because now it's like to do that, you know, the answer for now this is the transhumanist movement is to integrate robotics into the human body to, you know, um, to exceed human needs, right? That's the transhuman. I don't have to rely on other people, I don't have messy bodily functions.
0: That's fascinating. Totally like, on, You're so, not I mean,. <laughs> I'm, like, going through, like, my literature brain of the, um, I forgot the name of the poem, but it was this famous poem of, like, this, like, idealizing of this woman until, like, she had a bodily function, and then he was like, okay, never mind. Like, <laughs> it's like
1: every date I ever go on.
0: <laughs> Do you have any idea how happy I am that I'm happily married? Every time I talk to my friends who go through dates, I'm like, oh, but you can't die and divorce me. Like, nothing. we I will never go back out there yeah. again. Never. <laughs>
1: I get
0: to the point where I'm just like, oh, by the way. <laughs> but you also bring yeah, up okay. such an interesting point, the transhumanism of, like, people who have severe disabilities where that ability to integrate something allows you to actually do something. Like, you know, my wheels allow me to move or, like, voice-to-text allows me to write. Like, there's... Oh,
1: right, absolutely. Right, and then, like, the tension in that is able-bodied people using prosthetics to then, you know, be more than the able human, Mm. right? I could imagine, like, especially in the disability community, people, you know, like, the narratives around cure and the problems with that, people will get pretty pissed off if you're using technology to just, like, you know, I don't know, you know, cure whatever mobility issues or sensory issues you have.
0: There's a um, lot of interest, like, especially in the deaf community with the cochlear implants. Like, do you don't yeah. know, do you make that decision for a child or do you wait? Like, there's so much in that, like. Yeah, there's a great book about that. Made to hear. Yeah, that was my minor in college was um, deaf studies. I was hoping to be an interpreter, but my um, LR stainless mm-hmm. and wrists do not coincide well with. Yeah,
1: yeah, I can imagine.
0: That was, that was definitely not my favorite. Um, wow, so we we started off very quickly. Um, yeah. Like robotics. Oh, okay. you, you, you had me at robotics. Um,
1: no one ever asked me about it, so I'm excited. <laughs> Everyone's
0: like, yeah, that's a weird thing that she does, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I feel like that's 90% of what I'm interested in is people are like, okay, we just really need to keep Monica on a topic. Like, just get her her meds and, like, keep her stable. <laughs> and, like, keep her from talking about robots all day would be, like, most of my sister is like, okay, so can we talk about anything else? <laughs> we might have to do a separate podcast just on robot ableism. I- I'm in. i was <laughs> yeah, so in on that. Um, that's you that's also that's mentioned awesome. activism. I'm like, so I will stay on topic. I will talk to her about anorexia. And then I'm like, but robots. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> There's, there's something there. We're
0: gonna have a lot of uh, things to talk about. I know I don't have you for very long, so I'm going to slide all of Okay, yeah. I, I would kidnap you all day if I could. But um, <laughs> so you saw this like really started heavily the anorexia at 15, and I, I think that's actually pretty common for a lot of us who've gone through eating disorders. Was there like anything that just kind of struck you, or was it something else that really sort of like skidded in? Um,
1: I think there was probably a few things. At the same time when it happened, I had just um my my dad had enrolled me in this very difficult private high school, all girls Catholic school. And before that I'd always gone to public school and I'd always been really successful. Like I never had to try to get A's. like I would just get them. And my first semester there I just like flunked. I just didn't try. I didn't want to be there. It just did bad. <laughs> So that that triggered, um, like, a really a long history of perfectionism, because I had disappointed my family and my dad spent so much money, and then I just remember this day when I just woke up and I looked into the ball you was know, like, taking a shower or something, and I realized, like, I had a body, because I was like, I never noticed, like, I have fat on my stomach now, I have hair in new places, like, I had developed, and I was trying to come to terms with that. Um... And, you know, that was around when I was, like, 14, 15. I think those two things collided to me just being, like, how can I take control over my own life? Like, you know, what can I do? Because it was instilled in me at a very young age that, like, your professional life is so heavily tied to how you look. And how you look is also um, a strong indicator of how much you care for yourself. So, you know, I go outside wearing sweatpants. That's someone that's lazy and doesn't care about their life. If I weigh 30 pounds over what I should, that's someone who's not taking care of themselves. So I was told that very, very young.
0: When I was reading um, through your questions, like yeah. you did all of your answers. And so if you're uh, listening, just head over to our show notes. I have them all linked up with everything. But when you said taking care of a body, that hit me so strongly. Like, that's such a, a thing where our clothes and our Our body shapes can speak louder than when our words speak sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's the funny thing, too, that I I think the conception of anorexia is you want to be really skinny and you want to fit like a model ideal. And I really didn't care about being pretty. I just cared more about like having control over my body and not having to rely on other people for that. Like, I was, like, you know, the rest of my life's going out of control. Um, I had a lot of personal stuff going on. You know, I was very impacted by the U.S. wars at that time, too. So I felt like the world was spiraling out of control for me. But I was, like, the one thing I own, and I can't deny that I own it, is my body. So how am I going to, you know, you know, how am I going to own this? Um, and I didn't have a lot of friends either. I was super awkward. My sexuality was all up in the air. <laughs> Um, So, I think that is where it came down for me, Um, because I didn't, and I always say this to people, I'm like, I don't care what other people weigh or what they look like, right, and I'm like, I don't care if someone, you know, identifies as fat, and not using that as a negative term, just as a descriptor, like, I don't care, it doesn't bother me, I'm not disgusted by it, It just literally is like my own baggage. (laughs)
0: So how did, um, I'm sorry, it's just a personal question to just say like, nope, don't want to go there. I'm, I'll step right back. But um, how does sexuality enter into this? Like, was it like, I'm asking because I'm a parent, and I have lots of yeah. of kids at that age around me. And I'm really curious how that interacted with with body image. And is there anything that parents or friends or family could have done to make this, like as you're asking questions about everything at 15, is there anything that parents can do or family or anyone around can do to make life better or more easy when they're seeing these problems show up? Yeah, Um, I think for me
1: sexuality impacted it in that, um, you know, I was put into this all girls school and I was someone who before had always hung around with the guys. Um, so I didn't have a lot of friends, it was hard for me to make friends, but also in an all girls school, it's like, if someone has a boyfriend, everybody knows. Everyone knows who has a boyfriend, it's, you know, a very big deal. And likewise, everyone knows if you're a lesbian, or if you're bi, or you're queer, or whatever, it's it's very well known, and you are isolated if you um, identify as queer. Because the idea is like, you know, when you're 14, 15, oh, that girl likes me, I can't be friends with her. Um, so I was trying to figure out, you know, where I fit in that, um, now I identify as bisexual. Um, so at the time I was like hanging out with the queer kids, but I was also like trying to just, you know, have friends. Um, and it really weighed heavily on me because I saw everybody, you know, linking up and getting a partner. Um, and the people that did, you know, date someone, whether it was a boy or a girl or someone else, were all the people that fit, like, a normal kind of standard of beauty. And that was really hard for me at the time um, because I know that my parents looked at me like, I don't get it. Amy's so, like, funny and smart. Why doesn't she date anyone? What's wrong with her? Mm. That was narrative. Um, So for me, I was also trying to figure out, like, okay, um, is my sexuality somehow impeding my, my success? Is it getting in the way of things? Um, So for a very long time, I just didn't get close to anyone. Because I also saw getting close to other people as kind of an interruption, as something that would disrupt
0: my perfectionism. Wow. That's... That is fascinating. Right. Yeah. So how can your question, right? Yeah. Like
1: what can I do (laughs) as a parent
0: or as a friend? Like I remember like, you know, when I was going through this, um, in Catholic school as well as a teenager, like friends were trying to figure out like, how do I support this person without like betraying them? Like Mm -hmm. instead of going to a counselor or like going to the person's parents, or maybe that's the way to do it. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on like, how can, how can the community come together to help someone?
1: Yeah. Um, I think my friends did end up going, they went to the school nurse, they went to the counselor, and I just thought I lied to the counselor and the school nurse and said I was fine, right? Um, and it ended up that my friends, like, and I don't blame them for this, they just couldn't, like, they didn't know what to do. I was also very moody, I was extremely mean, I was not pleasant to be around, right? Because I wasn't eating. It was <laughs> shocking. I Funny. So... so I don't blame them, and they just kind of, you know, slowly I isolated myself and they moved away from me, um, and I, I think honestly what would have helped so much, um, is just having someone who wouldn't go away and who was a little more persistent and, um, you know, even my own parents, I love them to death, but they didn't understand what was going on fully, so they didn't want they wanted to give me privacy, so they didn't intervene, um, mm-hmm. And my suggestion always to parents and friends is, like, just show that you're still going to be there no matter what happens for that person. Because then when I did get to the point of recovery and I got to a stable weight, I wanted to—I wanted my friends back, and that was never going to happen. And it was just like I had to start high school all over again.
0: So how did – because recovery for eating disorders is um... – When I was going through it, the counselor said that it was like um, being like, it's almost like alcoholic, but you can't just stop food. So you're never like at a point where it's not in your head somewhere. It's always like a program running in the back of your head. Is that similar for you? And how do you work with with that throughout your your adult life now where food is such like a huge part of our culture from dating to friends to work events? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think you you brought up an important distinction, right? Like, I think that comparison between alcoholism and eating disorders is really powerful, because even today, if you ask, I'll just say, I'm living with eating disorders. Like, I don't think I'll ever get rid of it, and um, I never actually went into any formal recovery, because I didn't have the means to do so, I didn't have the money, I didn't want to tell my parents, I didn't have to get onto the insurance and stuff, Mm -hmm. so it was kind of just like... I just ate a lot and put on a lot of weight. (laughs) Like, I was like, I just need to gain back weight, so I just ate a lot of, like, meal bars for, like, months Um, and tried to, you know, Google everything on the Internet. Um, So to get to your question, too, it's like, you know, how do we we navigate this? Um, For me, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of um, thinking ahead as to, like, okay, what is my day look like? What does my week look like? When are situations are going to come up when I am going to eat or, or, you know, um, I'm in a situation with food um, or when I need to show my body in a way, you know, is that going to be uncomfortable? What can I do to plan ahead, look at menus, stuff like that? Um, And honestly, like, the biggest thing that has helped me is just, like, having friends who understand it, um, who understand, like, okay, Amy knows what she's doing, I trust her, um, we're not going to intervene or try to force her to do anything that makes her uncomfortable, it's like a special kind of access, mm. right, because, um, if I was at a point with my eating disorder where I was starving myself, then I'd want someone to intervene, right, I wouldn't want you to be accessible, please, just, you know, um, break this cycle of comfort that I have of not eating, but in a situation where I'm at now, where I'm much more stable, you know, I need people to kind of trust that I know what I'm doing and not intervene. And that is how access kind of has changed for me, you know, through the progression of eating disorders and been times where you have relapses and you come back and um, it's very... It's like an unstable process, but I've been pretty stable
0: for about five years now. So, how do you ask um, for help? Like, it sounds like you, you also have the. Um, so sorry, my brain is scrambled from painkillers at the moment, but. Um, oh, been there. <laughs> <America>. Oh, God. <laughs> like, the, wow, just trying to human right now is um, <laughs> is a struggle. Yeah. But I did not want to reschedule. Um, I know how busy you are. But, um, how, how are you able to ask for what you need? I was reading through some of the things you were saying and I'm like, oh my God, I'm guilty of some of this stuff. I've got to rethink how I talk to some of my friends. Um, how are you able to like ask, like, Hey, um, I know you're dealing with your own body issues and stuff, but can you lay off of me on that? Yeah. Um, usually I'm pretty honest about it.
1: Um, so um, let me think here, because you have to find a balance between, like, being honest and not, like, forcing yourself to disclose a lot of information, mm. um, when you don't want to, right? So, an example of this would be, um, you know, if my friends are, you know, saying something that I think is kind of food-phobic or fat-phobic or... Um, sharing a lot of diet tips or something like that. I'll just, I'll honestly, they usually don't, but I've been in situations, right? And I'll honestly just say something and be like, hi, I don't know if you know what those languages, that, you know, that language and those, um, those tips can actually be really triggering for people with eating disorders, among other disorders. Like you might just want to watch your language or provide content warnings, um, so that allows me to not center myself there, but I also want to acknowledge, like, there's other people in those spaces, and maybe they're not talking out, um, or a lot of times um, I'll try not to disrupt other people's plans, so if everyone is going to a big dinner and maybe there's nothing for me at the restaurant, I'll either ask if, can we change the restaurant, or I'll just say something like, I can meet you after, or I can meet you before, or whatever. Um, so I've tried to be flexible about um, losing my access needs while also not, you know, making other people change their change their plans, because they might also have access needs to why they're going to a certain place, and I try not to cause any tension there.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of trying not to cause tensions that I'm trying to work on this year. <laughs> like yeah. trying to cause more tensions is my point to that I, I feel like I do too much of the trying not to make waves and and not asking for it. like the needs that you're talking about are so similar to like needs that those of us who have wheelchairs like are like okay maybe I'll meet you at a, a place that doesn't have stairs later or you know yeah. diabetics or people who are have like um, other eating questions and issues and things to like meet other places like that's that's really interesting. Like when I was, um, after I just had a baby, there was when you would meet new. Like, at least for my personal experience, when we do the new mom groups, the, like, the first freaking discussion was always, how do you get your body back? It's like, are you serious? Like, I'm just trying to stay alive right now for the first three months. Like, yeah. it was such a weird, like, that's a bonding thing that we're all going to, like, that all of us are thinking about right now. Like, it just seemed like almost like a precursor of, like, this is how we say, hi, my name yeah. is, my baby is, and how did you get to? Like, it's it was such a weird trigger, like, after everything changed again.
1: That is, and that reminds me,
0: too, of, like,
1: um, I'm also in a
0: PhD program, I'm in graduate school,
1: um, and my first semester I did have a bit of a relapse to my eating disorder, um, because I was just under so much stress, but also one thing they pushed so much us um, in graduate school is, like, they were like, well... really successful enjoy your work but you also need to stay healthy and stay in shape so you better exercise and you better watch your diet and you better not drink too much blah, blah 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 and I'm like I know you're trying to care for me but I'm so tired from all this graduate work and all I want to do is just go sleep on my couch and not move for 10 hours <laughs> like can I do that without feeling lazy or wasteful um so my first semester I I went like gun ho and I started running again and I don't need to run I do <laughs> not need to lose weight like I need no exercise I walk enough it's fine um and I was put in a lot of like difficult social and professional situations where it was like okay we're gonna do this um this you know, academic workshop, we're going to have a working lunch too, and, you know, then we're going to do this social thing after, and everyone's going to go out, and it was just, like, there was just no consideration of, like, what if someone can't do this or doesn't want to do this, so I toughened up, and I was like, I'm just going to stick it through and do all these terrible events, (laughs) and I did, and I was miserable, it didn't make me any happier, and my second semester, I learned to say no. Or mm. just learn to say things like, hey, did you think that maybe you shouldn't order pizza for every single professional workshop? Do <laughs>
0: like, you think that might be a problem? <laughs> you're you're <laughs> making me miss and not miss graduate school all at once right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: been a, it's been a long one. <laughs> like, right. But, like, they did start to listen. Like, the more vocal I was, the more they were like, oh, yeah, maybe this
0: is a bad idea. go beyond the first thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you made another mention that really hit me hard because I'm always wondering if, like, uh, how closely related um, eating disorders and self-harm are. Because I find, like, at least for my own personal experience, they went right hand-in-hand with cutting and other things. And, like, it's amazing how it can just, like come back up it's it's kind of almost like uh grieving to me like i think i'm like through the biggest wave of it and then there's like another little sneaker wave that will come up and it's like it's the same sort of thing on which one i i have to fight against is like the self-harm the eating and how closely related that is and part of the shame of like going towards like getting help for it is that you're too smart for this and when you yep. said that, I like want to underline it twenty times. Can you talk about like, because it also goes with like why women and uh, men and anyone who um, is experiencing this? Uh, please, everyone, forgive me for my circular talking. If you knew what a walking opioid crisis I am right now, you all would understand how hard it's to form a sentence. So please forgive me today. Uh, but agree. oh, I'm trying so hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's kind of pitiful right now but I am working on it um about for people even asking for help in domestic violence situations or violent mm-hmm. situations is you're too smart to be that person who's yeah. in that and I feel like it's very similar in the eating disorders and the self-harm things can you tell me more about like what you meant by, like when you said that is that just hit so close to home
1: I, I think this is, um, this is a hard stigma, and the, the comment you're referring to is something someone had said to me, and this was a point in my life when I was in, I started college, and I started identifying as a feminist, and I started doing gender studies, and I was very, like, you know, politically minded and very vocal about my, um, my views, and, you know, at that point, I had gotten my grades up, and I was just known as, like, someone who was just, like, very intelligent, I was, you know, planning to get a PhD, all this stuff. And I was at work one night, and I just made a comment to somebody who was talking about um, eating disorders. And I said something like, I had eating disorders for years. Like, it's still something I deal with. And he turned to me, and he said, I can't believe you would be that stupid. (laughs) And it was amazing to me. Hmm. this is someone who I also consider to be intelligent and who worked in um, health medicine. And I was—it was amazing, you know. Comment to me, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna process that over here. Um, but it—I it, think it fits with the the stereotype eating disorders as like I would say, like 15 to 16 year old like white girls who just like watch too much like Beverly Hills 90210 and now don't eat, and that's <laughs> the reason like they want to look like somebody, right? And. I'm mean, like, it's so much more complex than that, and so much more that goes on, and for me, it's like that idea of being too smart went hand-in-hand hand with my eating disorder. I was like, I was trying to be perfect, and I had this idea of what perfection was, and my intelligence went correlated with that, because I also looked at, well, the times when I had, and this is true, the times when I had eating disorders very badly were also the times when I succeeded the most academically. Because I had no distraction. I had no friends. I would just sit around and read all day because I didn't do anything else. So, and so that was like a really big trigger for me. So even now when I do really well academically, I'm like, okay, i got to check myself. How am I doing on the other side of things? Um, and for me, that absolutely was a form of self-harm. Um, you know, it wasn't cutting to that degree um, or anything we traditionally think of as self-harm. But I was purposely isolating myself. Um, And purposely saying to my thing, saying things like, I enjoy this, but I don't deserve it. You know, I'm not going to go out with my friends. I'm not going to go out and do this. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. Um, And it was, you know, one of those things where, you know, eating, you know, not enough or something was almost like I deserved a reward. Like, oh, I did so good today. I've been eating for six hours. That's great. And that was my
0: mentality. For so long, I think there right? are so it's, many people who just went, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that. I mean, even our advertising um, specifically highlights that you worked really hard today. You deserve a beer. You 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 worked really hard. You deserve this cupcake. Like it's you were yeah. good, so you deserve a cheat day. Seems to be the new little underline. Yeah. Like wow, that's um, that's yeah. that's hard hitting. <laughs>
1: Right? Yeah, but I would never reward myself with food. Like never. Like I removed that from the equation. It was like something else. Mm. Usually like buying something. Like I was really good today. I'm gonna like buy more clothes that are like super tight and show off my bones. Exactly <laughs> <I was, laughs>
0: sexy honest. clavicle right here.
1: Really um
0: Wow. Yeah. It it is and like you said,
1: it, it's very hard because then if I do, you know, come out, so to speak, um, and tell somebody this Their response was like, why would you ever do that? You know so much about health medicine. You do disability studies. You're a feminist. Why would you do all these things that seem anti-feminist, anti-disability, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I didn't choose to do these things. This is a chronic illness. That's an important point there.
0: You just (laughs) made one of the most important points of it's not a choice. And that's one of the biggest issues with eating disorders is that people are like, well, you could just stop this. If you ever thought of eating, you could just eat. Yeah, and then this would be all done. It's not like another kind of disability or disorder. You have the control there, and that's that goes more yeah. towards the shame thing again of getting help.
1: Yeah. Uh, exactly. You're... All the forms it takes, too.
0: Yes. It's so, like,
1: not like when I see eating disorders, everyone thinks starvation. I'm like, it's also overeating. It's also only eating one thing. It's also, you see the cases now of like extreme bodybuilding, where people are pushing their bodies to these limits and, you know, not eating solid food. And um, there's a very fine line now between, like, when does a diet become an eating disorder?
0: Especially with the new fast, like, the if you all are doing fasting and you're under doctor's supervision, that's your thing, like, yeah. ignore me on this. But I will just say that I have, I have concerns when I'm watching a whole bunch of my friends be like, I'm only going to drink juice and I'm only going to eat, three days a week and that just like instantly yeah. just starts like I, I get concerned it, it seems a little close to to yeah. what I was dealing with <laughs> that,
1: that a big concern it's part of like the detox
0: movement Mm.
1: Or like you see these weight loss teas and I'm like, it's not a weight loss tea, it just makes mm. like, shit
0: out everything. Can we just like, say yay for Jamila, uh, oh gosh, brain is on, stop, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The Good Place, um, Tahani, help me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, wow, her work on like trying to keep these diet teas, diet lollipops out of the visual of my daughter's age. Like, I'm right. so grateful for that. Like, there was yeah. no stop on the Seventeen magazines when I was growing up, where they'd be like, "This is a five foot seven model who weighs 105 pounds," and I'm like, "Oh my god, it must be a beast!" <laughs> like, it was just—it was one <laughs> yeah. of the worst things ever to like put in front of people. Yeah, right. It's also the
1: changing of the terms things, where I'm like, laxative is something you take every day," and like that is a form of the eating disorder. Oh, wow, yeah. Like, it is something you take when you need it. And, you know, selling these teas as a weight loss product or just, like, you know, like, that's, you know, any doctor will tell you, like, that is an addiction. And it, you know, the short and long-term health effects of eating disorders are so unknown and also dire.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Like, I have disabilities from those side effects. (laughs) Like, it just made me more disabled. (laughs)
0: Like... Uh you know, I'd love to see more studies on that on what long term early anorexia and bulimia does to a body over time that would be fascinating to see uh we've touched on perfectionism a whole bunch, and I keep seeing like people discussing perfectionism as as um oh God, I miss my brain um the basic idea is perfectionism as safety. So, if you could be perfect, you're safe. And I just started thinking about that from my own side of things of having like super. uh, My body type is basically Jessica Rabbit. There was nothing I could do about it, and it was early. So, I would walk into a room back when. um, Oh, what was that horrible song? I like the Big Butts song Uh, back in the 90s. um... Sir so Mix a lot, thank you. Um. So every time yeah. I'd walk into, every time I'd walk into your room, some of the boys would start that song. So it's like, right. if I was skinny, I wouldn't get that. Like that was my mindset. Like if I could just be perfect body, I wouldn't be public property. Yeah. If I yeah. was just perfect and smart, I wouldn't ever starve to death on the streets, as my parents kept telling me I would do if I didn't get good grades. Like it was just like perfect keeps you safe. Like how do you feel about all that? Like word vomit I just went through. <laughs>
1: I absolutely agree with that idea of like a perfect body will keep you safe, um, and, also, and also how that backfired on me. But I think my idea of a perfect body would keep me safe is it would safe safe from like having to rely on other people. Mm. Like I really didn't trust many people. I also grew up in a police and military family, so I was kind of raised to just be paranoid about everyone all the time. Oh, <laughs> um, so I really, I just didn't, I didn't trust anyone. Um, And for me, it was like the safety of having control of my own body and also having a certain body type um, definitely fit in with me being, like I said, totally independent, totally autonomous. Um, And that's what I was like working towards professionally to, like I was in ninth grade and I was like, I'm going to get a PhD and I'm going to get an academic job and I'm going to be really successful. And that was my plan that I did not. Stop working towards that, and that was my safety. It was like you know, safety and having a future. Um, at the same time, when I was watching things like you know, Wall Street crash, and I'm watching you know, my friends around me you know, um, oh. fail and get hurt, and so many things that were like instilling fear on me. like I don't want that, I never want to be that.
0: I just realized um, what generation you're in, and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I definitely am understanding this now. I get exactly what years you were growing up, and yeah, wow. That yeah. that would have uh, definitely yeah. been something to to just be hitting eighteen, nineteen with all that happening.
1: Yeah, it was it was a lot, and like I said, it was also a time when I'm getting politically and socially minded, so I'm starting to realize maybe the United States isn't the best country in the world, <laughs> and, and <laughs> I, you know, coming to terms with that, and, you know, coming to terms with not being religious in a Catholic school, <laughs> so there's some things that were, like, I took as threats to me that I wanted to kind of protect myself from, um, and now the the downside of this is now I you know I am very small, I can't gain a lot of weight, I don't have a lot of muscle, and that makes me actually less safe and more of a target to predators, and that's just you know the truth of it. um I also look a lot younger than I am i'm twenty six and I get mistaken for I'm not joking twelve years old at the airport oh <laughs> that's um that's horrible 12 years old at the airport. And I just keep thinking, I'm like, you know, what if someday some predator sees me and, you know, they think I'm underage or they think I'm, you know, someone else or whatever, Um, you know, and I have been the victim of a lot of harassment, a lot of sexual harassment, um, and it's just something that's always in my mind of like, and this gets back to guilt, I'm like, well, if I wasn't anorexic, would I have a normal body and would I suffer this kind of abuse? Would I be so scared? So it goes <laughs> back to the shame thing, right? Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, I did this to myself. I'm putting myself now in for harm. Um,
0: you know. I just want to underline that because we're we're now getting into the sexual assault and sexual abuse and eating disorders. And I find that yeah. that has gone hand in hand for myself and a lot of people I know because we're also getting back to the shame. Did I make that happen? Am I responsible yeah. for this? Like. I just don't think that those two separate out easily.
1: Yeah, it is. It's the, um, it's the very scary thing of, right? Like, yeah, did I, did I do this for myself? Um, and also thinking of sexual assault as like this just really pervasive attack on bodily autonomy, which is something, um, you know, obviously I was obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, and even today it's like, you know, messed with my ideas of intimacy and becoming intimate in so many ways. Because I do need to, to, like, be intimate with someone in any way. Like, I do need to make him with my body vulnerable. And yeah. that is a very scary thing, because um, it also forces me to look at my body. It forces someone else to look at my body. And, like, this kind of radical trust of, like, okay, I'm really going to hope that you aren't going to hurt me here. I'm really going to hope that you aren't going to break me, because I'm so little that someone could literally break me with one hand. And that is that is a
0: I, it like, with sex, it's like you lose uh, sex, intimacy, all that physical, like, one-on-one or more or whatever consensual world we're discussing. Um, You don't get control of the narrative anymore. Like, yeah. if you're in front of someone, you don't get to control which angles you're being seen at or, like, it. Right. and um, exactly what's happening. The narrative changes. Also, when you're talking about the um, sexual assault, I, I just wanted to be clear. I'm not even just discussing, like, rape, molestation. I'm discussing, like anyone walking down the street, and then all of a sudden there's a whole barrage of words thrown at you as catcalls, which please, if you ever have, listening to this and you've ever thought about doing this, please don't, just don't. It's terrifying, it's threatening, and all it does is it makes people feel unsafe in the space they're in. It's not acceptable. Um, and that's, you know, I don't know if you've seen the show, but sex education on Netflix has become my yeah. entire jam. <laughs> and like the season two, I'm not going to spoil anything, but they've really touched on that subject in the most amazing way. And I, it's just, um, I'm trying to debate right. how old my kids need to be before they see that show, but it's, uh, it's really yeah. fantastic. It is. Yeah. And you raised
1: a really good point there too, about thinking about, um, maybe not immediately physical forms of um, sexual abuse and sexual violence um, that kind of pertain to us and affect us in so many ways. Um, You know, it's like when people say things like, I'm a sexual abuse survivor, um, you know, the narrative behind that or the assumption is always like, oh, they've been raped. And... As you you know point out, it's like we need to have a more comprehensive understanding of those things, and that'll also help us break down and understand how things like words and representation have immense cognitive and physical effects in the long run.
0: So I know I, I cannot kidnap you all day, and I seriously would, but um, you had wanted to discuss the pro-ANA movement, which is definitely before my time, so I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Yeah, pro-ANA, which stands for pro-anorexia, um is
1: primarily online groups online websites and these are um usually younger women like under 20 who go onto these websites and they have communities together and they encourage and motivate each other's eating disorders so they'll share things like diet tips they'll share things like recipes they'll share how to starve yourself for you know weeks and weeks on end. Um, and I was never like on these websites in these circles, but I discovered them later and I find them fascinating. Um, in the sense that of course it's so sad, but you know, my, my question is always like, how do we intervene in these groups Mm. and we make sense of these, um, of these pro and communities within the disability community, because these are people who are experiencing what I would identify as a form of mental illness. But their mental illness is manifesting in a way that makes them also extremely um, triggering to other people, encourages self harm, um, also, usually, very fat phobic. So it's like a very, you know, in some ways, destructive set of communities. And I'm like, well, how do we make sense of them within the disability community that believes in all, that believes in completely different things? Seems to be in totally opposition to Pro Anna.
0: So what do you think, um, how how could that, it is it is a group that has rounded up a bunch of people who need help, how can we use that for help, or is there a way to?
1: Yeah, I, the communities are very really interesting,
0: because when you look at them, most of them will say things
1: like, yeah, I know I need help, but I can't. And right now, I think usually in the groups, what those people want is to just not feel alone. Like, they've been so isolated by everyone in their lives, they just want someone who understands what it's like to live with anorexia or living with eating disorder. Um, so, they serve an important purpose. Um, and I think, um, as someone who is now outside of those communities, but also like still very interested in intervening with them, um, I've been thinking about how might we think of disability as you know, if I call those people disabled, they might get offended, they might be confused, they wouldn't understand, um, fully, and I don't want to just call other people disabled, that doesn't work. But, um, thinking about disability as an affiliation or showing a form of allyship that can connect with them, um, in a way, because I do think it's a form of mental illness, and mental illness can manifest in ways that can be, unfortunately, harmful to other people. Um, you know, usually not, I don't mean to, perpetuate the stereotype of mental illness as violence. But if you think of things like addiction or alcoholism, like those things can be triggering to other people. Um, so it's a question of still working through, but it's something I like to make people aware of, of just saying like, you know, um, there are sites of disability out there that are not readily visible or sites of chronic illness that don't identify as such. And I think we need to protect and stand up for their rights
0: as much as we do for ours. Yeah, It's it's such a different, um, at least uh, from what I remember and how I felt was like, leave me alone, where now I feel like, oh, please help me. Like, if you all know a way that I can move through the world as a disabled person with my wheelchair, please come over and help me. And when I was in the throes of anorexia, the last thing I wanted was any, like, I was I was very angry and bitey at that time. Yeah. So I don't know how to like reach out and how or how that would work, but I'm really curious. On it, it seems like an opportunity to help with with something if you have everyone there, but I don't know how that that reach out would work.
1: It's it's very hard, and uh, what I don't like is there's been many. Um, I know Italy at least Italy was talking about totally banning these communities, hmm. like you know just running the websites, and I'm like that doesn't seem like the best way. There's a lot of talk about just censoring them and I just, I don't think shutting them out and not giving them a space to speak is going to be helpful at all. That's interesting. That point? Yeah. And, like, like it <laughs> a way of invalidating their experience.
0: Or just um, no chance to, or more isolated. That's what I always fear for people is that yeah. the isolation and shame is usually the, the most painful part at least or.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. that's That's Thank a very you. interesting question. It is, yeah, because it is a space, too, where they
1: might not actually feel shame. Mm. If you've had an eating disorder, you know what it's like, where you, you know, want to eat, and you, like, I don't want anyone to see me eat, because it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is a community where they can actually, like, share all their habits without feeling that way, and they also share things that are going on with their bodies. Like, hey, I woke up, and I had this feeling in my stomach, Does I not know what it is. I've never had this before. How do I work through it? I can't go to the doctor's. So there's a lot of, like, help going on in them. They're very complex. Um, Which is very interesting. And, like, it's, like, I would say, they're harder to find now. Many have been censored off the internet. Um, It is something you need a lot of content warnings to if you wanted to look at or visit.
0: Yeah, Um, I I would definitely say that. That's a a big, like, asterisk here of, like, don't if you're on any fences. Like yeah. But it would just be interesting if, like, instead of the banning, and I'm totally talking out of my tail right now because I do not have a degree in this at all, but just having help numbers that go up on the top, you know, if the, like, yeah, like anonymous help numbers that could go up on the top of these communities for them to exist. I have no idea. I'm just saying isolating yeah. people further is almost never the answer, and banning things I think yeah. we've historically seen is really problematic. Or just welcoming them to another
1: community. I'm like, Mm. what if there was like an intermediate community that wasn't totally pro-Anna, but wasn't totally forcing them into recovery?
0: That's such an interesting point. It's like most of what we're talking about, we're talking about power being taken away from someone, not feeling safe in a space, not feeling safe in a body. So instead of saying, hey, you're doing this now or else, you know, but giving a, you you make a really good point of the intermediary space
1: yeah like some kind of recovery that is enforced and this is also i don't know but your experience was with eating sort of recovery it's often like you're going to eat these foods every day at these times you're going to do these things you're not going to do these things and i'm like oh now i feel like a child Uh, um i feel like i have no power whatsoever so thank you very much for that And that's one reason I just I could yeah. not do
0: You know, it. if you want to come back on another time and talk about the infantilizing of disability, please come back on. I would love to have that discussion of like not just with the yeah. eating disorders, but you know, just how uh, childlike you get treated in you know, the disability world and by the others. Of
1: that. Sorry? Yeah.
0: The gender dynamics,
1: of course, of that. <laughs> and then, the gender dynamics. <laughs> I also have a chronic pain condition. So whenever you tell someone that, it's always like, ah, oh, poor baby.
0: Oh mm. I'm like, gross yeah I, I prefer badass I'll take badass any day over poor baby that'd be great um yeah anything say anything yeah <laughs> you, call you know like yeah right like I'll go with bitch before you, I get called baby like honestly, totally yeah. fine with bitch <laughs> bitch just kind of means that I refuse to conform to what you need me to be versus what I need to be so I'm good with yeah. bitch um yeah, but yeah I like that yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's plan
0: that. That would be wonderful. Well, I know you have something you have to do in like 10 minutes, so I am going to let you go, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was really exciting. Um, really glad to talk through this with you. And also, like, I was a little nervous, and this was way
1: more comfortable than I thought it was going to
0: be. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. Um yeah, you so are, it's just very easy to talk to you as well. <laughs> I appreciate that. I am even better when not heavily medicated. I promise. Um, But don't worry. I know what that's like. Oh gosh, I'm sure you do. (laughs) Yeah. And Uh, we will
1: follow up. I
0: think we have more collaborations to do. Uh, We have so much to talk about. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, Please head over to our show notes. I will have um, all of the free toll-free numbers to call if you have listened to this and you overestimated your trigger warning ability and this was triggering anyway. I will absolutely have help numbers and um, text numbers as well so that if um, you have social anxiety about talking on the phone, I will have numbers up that you can just text and talk to someone that way. Uh, I certainly overestimated my trigger abilities before so i am right there with you all Um, thank you so much everyone until next week be kind be gentle and wow if you've been reading the newspapers be a badass please absolutely in whatever way you can be